Happy Wednesday! You're listening to Mama Murdered a Podcast. I'm your host, A.B. This week on Mama Murdered a Podcast, we'll be covering the third part of Chris Watts. So, if you haven't already, go back and listen to parts one and two, because if not, you're going to be really lost. And since we're all here for one thing and one thing only, let's get it. So, last week we ended off, Shanann and both girls had been in North Carolina for five weeks. Chris had just joined them, and he had been home in Colorado for the last five weeks while his family was in North Carolina, but he hadn't been alone because he had found himself a great value brand mistress. So he had just gotten off the plane, and his girls were, you know, overly excited to see their dad. They hadn't seen him in five weeks, which is a really long time for, you know, small kids. But he didn't even so much as kiss Shanann when he got off the plane after not seeing her for five weeks, and that is alarming as a wife. And it wasn't long after Chris had landed in North Carolina that Shanann is texting almost all of her friends to vent about how awkward things had felt between her and Chris. Shanann tells them that Chris won't even hug, kiss her, or even look at her. And something else that I purposely left out of last week's episode was that while Chris and Shanann were still in North Carolina, Chris had told Shanann that he didn't think the two were compatible anymore. He also told her that he didn't exactly want the baby that she was already pregnant with. Oh, you know, the baby that was his idea. Because let's all remember that this couple couldn't keep their hands off of each other before they left, and now they weren't compatible and he didn't want their son. So what changed in just five weeks? Oh, I don't know, maybe the fact that he had gotten himself a mistress. So the sixth week of this trip to North Carolina, when Chris got there and joined his family, instead of him and Shanann talking to each other and trying to figure out what had been bothering Chris and why things felt so different between them, Chris and Shanann just texted each other back and forth, even when the two were in the same room. And I would be guessing that they were doing this, you know, these arguments via text in the same room with each other, instead of arguing in front of the family members that they didn't get to see very often, and probably to save Bella and Cece from having to witness mom and dad fighting. So the entire time that Chris and Shanann are in North Carolina, Chris is texting Kessinger and doing more, like, high school-type shenanigans, like looking up song lyrics, which is a thing that Chris does pretty often. And now that we have access to all of the stuff on his phone, it seems like Chris looks up different types of songs and lyrics according to what kind of mood he's in at that time. And once he killed his entire family, the song that he looked up was disturbing, to say the least. But we'll get into that song and those lyrics a little bit later. So while Chris is text fighting with his wife in the same room, Chris is also adding nude pics of Kessinger to his phone. But he's not going to save those to his camera roll. No, 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 absolutely not. Chris is going to save these nudie pics to an app that he's downloaded on his phone that looks like a regular run-of-the-mill calculator app. Yes, you heard that right. The app looks like a calculator, works like a calculator, and, I mean... It works and does exactly what your calculator app on your phone already does until you put in a certain string of numbers, and that's kind of set up like a lock like a lock pin or passcode on your phone would be. You enter those magic numbers in the right order, and it basically opens up to an entirely separate phone. It has a secret web browser, a place for calls, a place for text, a place for pictures. I mean, it just seems like whoever made this app made it for cheating spouses specifically. Why else would you need this? Kessinger was still sending nudes and racy texts to Chris while he was in North Carolina with his family, but they didn't come in like regular text messages. They came through on his handy-dandy calculator app. And this man is the epitome of everything that is wrong with some men and how they view relationships. I said what I said. During this week that Chris joined his family in North Carolina for the last week of the summer, Chris told his oldest and dearest friend, Mark Jameson, that he wanted to divorce Shanann that he had finally seen Shanann's true colors, and he also told him about his new secret boo thing. Mark Jameson was Chris's best friend, and he said that he never really saw anything that Shanann did as divorce-worthy, but that he also wasn't actively in the middle of their relationship. So, I mean, he really wouldn't know what went on behind closed doors. And oddly enough, at this same time that Chris tells Mark about, you know, him wanting a divorce... Chris's mistress is looking up wedding dresses and stalking Shanann and Chris's Facebook accounts. Kessinger looked up wedding dresses for two whole hours. Mind you, this is somebody that she's supposedly only been dating for two months. 
Kissinger also Googles things like, quote, man I'm having an affair with says he'll leave his wife. And another Google search was, quote, marrying your mistress, which seemed like completely normal things for a side piece to be Googling, except for the things that she Googled along the lines of how to prepare for anal sex. Like, come on, girl, let's be real. They never leave their wives, and you'll always be second choice. That is, of course, unless he decides to murder his entire family so he can start a new life with you, yay! And as far as the butt stuff goes, you do you, boo. But Kessinger was steady Googling other weird shit even after Shannon and the girls had already been reported missing. Like what, you might ask? Well, like four days after Chris was arrested for the murder of his pregnant wife and two daughters, his mistress Nicole Kessinger Googled, quote, Did people hate Amber Frey? Amber Frey was Scott Peterson's mistress. Scott Peterson also murdered his pregnant wife and unborn child. We'll definitely cover Scott and Lacey later on. And this search alone has me convinced that Kessinger not only knew that Chris and Shanann were still together, but it also makes me think that she also knew that Chris was also responsible for Shanann, Bella, Cece, and unborn Nico's death, or she wouldn't be worried about what another murderer's mistress went through, or what this other murdering man's mistress gained when she wrote her tell-all book. Because, yes, Kessinger also Googled things related to Scott Peterson's mistress, Amber Frey, and the book deal that she got, after she wrote her tell-all about their affair and how the murder and investigation played out from her end and her perspective. So, was Kessinger hoping to write a book and profit from Shanann and the kids' death, or am I reading too far into those Google searches? I don't know. Either way, Chris was doing some Google searches on his own. He searched, quote, when to say I love you in a new relationship. So, he and Kessinger are both hearing wedding bells, which is fine, but, like, Get a divorce first, like the rest of the world. There are so many other ways to go about this, and the way that Chris went about it just ain't it. I also think it's real weird that Kessinger swore up and down that she didn't know Shanann was pregnant, but she literally stalked her Facebook page. Shanann's Facebook is the same Facebook that is littered with ultrasound pictures, cute shirts, and tiny onesies. I mean, there's even a picture of Shanann wearing a shirt that says something like, I'm creating a human, a baby human, what did you do today? Or something like that. I mean, there's no way that she did not see the pregnancy, the baby bump, the page-long gratitude post about Chris and how thankful she is to have him in her life. There's just no way. There's also screenshots of Chris joking that he hoped that it was just one baby and not more than one on Shanann's Facebook page, which Kessinger stalked for hours. There are also literal hours of Google searches found on Kessinger's internet search history of Shanann's name. So the whole bit about how she thought that Shanann and Chris were separated and she didn't know that Shanann was pregnant or how she thought that Chris and Shanann were only living together for financial reasons, all of those things, yeah, the lie detector test determined that was a lie because all she had to do was look at the most recent four or five posts on Shanann's Facebook wall, and she would have seen a baby bump, a onesie, a long drawn-out gratitude post about Chris, and so on and so on and so on, because there are endless amounts of those all over her page, and you can still find them now. So surely you would have been able to find them then. Kessinger, you ain't fooling nobody, girl. Bye, Felicia. I'm so sorry I'm in a petty Betty mood today, and I really don't like her. All that to say that Kessinger had to have seen all of those same things that I just listed, and she probably just hoped that nobody would find out that she did full well know that Chris was married and that she was his side piece, but that she was okay with that. Moving right along, back to the text fighting that was going on between Shanann and Chris while they were both in the same room. Shanann does tell Chris that she can't figure out how you fall out of love with somebody in just six weeks, which, same, I did not get it. And she even says he's been feeling like this for longer than she realized, or maybe she just didn't see the signs. She also points out that you don't ask someone to have a baby if you're not in love with them, which is is valid. I could see that. Shanann's parents, Sandra and Frank, said that during the last week in North Carolina while Chris was there with his family, that he was super aggressive and that it was weird because he was getting annoyed and aggravated pretty easily with both kids and Shanann. And they found that really weird just because Chris was always chill and laid back, but that they all agreed he was different during this visit. 
Shanann also texts Chris, probably from the same room because that's where they're at in their relationship. And she's basically saying that nobody told his parents to act like they only had two grandkids instead of four and that she didn't block his parents on social media, they blocked her. But the foreshadowing in this next part makes my stomach turn when Shanann texts Chris telling him that she never wants to hear, quote, sorry, I killed your kid because I was stupid. She also says, quote, These kids are my world and I have to protect them from the evil in the world. I shouldn't have to protect them from evil family. Another text she says, quote, she's evil, she being Chris's mom, Cindy, and willing to risk your daughter's life just to get under my skin. In the same literal page-long text, she also says, quote, I'm not going to be treated this way for having the balls to protect our family and kids. She also says, quote, I should get a gold fucking medal for handling it the way I did. And Chris responds that the girls are his world and what his mom did was messed up and that the girls are the light of his life and then he even thanks Shanann for protecting Cece. <coughs> mm. Oh, he didn't mean that. It was on August 8th that Chris and Shanann find out the sex of their baby and they had planned to have a gender reveal party on August 19th. But Shanann even went so far as to text her friends that were planning the party and she basically told them to hold off on the party because the energy didn't feel right and she wasn't really sure what was going on with her and her husband or within their marriage. She also tells her friends that Chris had just told her that they weren't compatible anymore and that he doesn't want the baby that she's carrying. Again, the baby that was his idea. So this is the day that Shanann basically accuses Chris of using her body to have the boy that he'd always hoped for, and still all of this is through text, and they're actually inside the same house together. Shanann tells Chris that she doesn't want him to come home unless he can tell her the truth about what's been going on. And Chris is texting his friend Josh telling him that he can't wait to find out the sex of the baby. So, good God, man, how many personalities does Chris actually have? I want the baby. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. I love you, but I love my mistress. But I love you, but thanks for protecting our kids. Make up your mind, Chris. I'm done, I swear. Well, for now, anyways. So the entire week that Chris and Shanann are spending their last week in North Carolina together, Kissinger, of course, is Facebook stalking and Googling both Chris and Shanann, probably just checking to see what he's doing with his actual family while he's not with her. But it finally comes time for Chris, Shanann, Bella, and Cece to head back home to Colorado. And it's almost immediately after they get back to Colorado that Shanann would have to go to Arizona for a thrive trip. So she would leave for Arizona on August 9th. A friend asked Shanann if she went through Chris's phone yet, but Shanann said that he had just been deleting texts from his dad and that she thought that was super weird. But Shanann also doesn't know about the handy-dandy calculator app where Chris tries to keep his whole second secret life hid. But Shanann does tell her friend that she and Chris had, quote, their best talk yet before she left for Arizona. So Shanann texts her friend to see if any of them will be available to watch Bella and Cece for the weekend of August 17th that Chris had agreed to stay in a resort in Aspen and try to rekindle their marriage, and hopefully the two could reconnect and work on things. And that's all it took for Shanann to book this getaway, because as soon as Chris agreed to go, she had it booked, planned, and was finding a sitter. And this is even a little weird to her friends, because Chris had just told her that he wanted her to abort the baby, which had kind of had her friends wondering where Shanann's head was. Chris ended up deleting his whole entire Facebook on this same day, and he doesn't say a word to anybody about deleting his account. Of course, Shanann was the Facebook queen, so she did text Chris and ask him what happened to his Facebook, but he literally just doesn't message her back. He completely ignores that question altogether, and he kind of acts like he just never got that question at all. Like, hey, Chris, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. I'm done, I swear. August 8th, Chris's co-workers were talking about a leak at one of the oil tanks where Chris would work, and Chris volunteered to go check it out, but when one of Chris's co-workers offered to ride with Chris, Chris kind of made it seem like, why do both of us need to go? It was around this time that Shanann got in touch with her realtor and lets them know that she and Chris are thinking about selling their house and moving, but she lets the realtor know that she would be back on her business trip in a few days and that they could get together and talk about it more then. Sadly, this meeting with the realtor would never happen. But maybe she was trying to, like, lower their mortgage or make the financial issues be one less problem in their marriage. Like, maybe her thinking was, if we downsize like Chris wants, then that'll solve at least one of our problems. And then again, this 
may just have been Shanann trying desperately to fix any little thing she could in hopes that it would save her marriage. On August 11th, just two days after Shanann had left her trip in Arizona, she was feeling pretty good about the conversation that she and Chris had. Remember, she called this their quote-unquote best talk yet. But back in Colorado, Chris was home alone with Bella and Cece, and he had already not seen them for five weeks while they were in North Carolina and had been kind of douchey to them the last week when he was there with them. But instead of hanging out with his kids and being a good dad and husband, Chris hired a sitter. And Chris getting a sitter was no secret. I mean, Shanann did know about this. She just didn't know the real reason for the sitter. So Shanann's trying to find a sitter to fix their marriage. Chris is trying to find a sitter to go on a super secret date with the great value version of Shanann. So Shanann was told that Chris had won tickets to a baseball game and a raffle at work. So this is what she thought that he needed the sitter for. And of course, that wasn't all he was going to be doing. Instead, he was actually going to take his mistress to the Lazy Dog Bar and Grill. But Chris even went so far as to make up seat numbers for where he had been sitting at this fake game that he did not attend. And he even took notes on the game and how it went, you know, just in case Shanann asked how the game went or something. And up until this point, when Chris and Kessinger were out on super secret dates, Chris had always at least attempted to hide his affair. I mean, at least somewhat. Chris had always used prepaid gift cards or gift cards that he got from incentives at work to pay for dinners with Kessinger. You can't track gift card purchases for a gift card that you don't know about because most gift cards came from incentives at work that he had been given, so he likely just never brought them up to Shanann, hence she wouldn't have known they were missing. But on this date, to the lazy dog with Kessinger, Chris used his regular everyday debit card. Yep, the same debit card that Shanann had access to the bank statements for. Yep, that card. Shanann had it set up where she would get notifications for every purchase made on both hers and Chris's debit cards. A lot of people have this. I have this. Helps you keep track of where you're spending. (laughs) But when Shanann got the notification for the purchase at the Lazy Dog, that wasn't what alarmed Shanann. It was the amount that was alarming. The charge at the Lazy Dog was for about 60 bucks. And the Lazy Dog wasn't a very expensive restaurant. And 60 bucks was enough to feed two people and both people to have a few drinks. So, Shanann pulled some investigative-type stuff on her own. She looked up the restaurant's menu and asked Chris what he could have possibly spent $60 on. Chris tells Shanann that he got a salmon and a beer, too, which, according to her investigation skills, was nowhere close to $60. That night after dinner, Kessinger went home and Googled Chris and Shanann Watts again, and this time she Googled their home address. I'm sorry, ma'am. What? Stalker much? And then it was on Sunday, August 12th, when Chris did some more weird stuff. He let his boss know which job site he was going to be at Monday morning. And his boss said that he thought it was weird for Chris to text him like that to tell him where he would be. Because normally that's not something he would do. He didn't say anything. I mean, why would he? He had no idea of knowing what Chris was planning. And it was also on August 12th when Chris's friends, Jeremy and Jennifer, asked Chris if he and Shanann needed a crib that they were going to get rid of. Chris told him no, that they didn't need a crib, which was weird because Bella and Cece were both in, like, toddler beds or regular-sized beds at this point and not in cribs still. So Chris and Shanann would have needed a crib unless for some reason they had kept one of the girls' cribs to use for baby Nico. But if not, then why wouldn't they need a crib? And Chris and Kessinger were on the phone for a few hours that night, and Kessinger later said that she didn't remember talking to Chris for two whole hours, but she does remember the TV was on in the background, and she was thinking that that meant that Chris was in the basement and not in the living room or the bedroom. So Kessinger said that she just assumed that he was in the basement waiting for Shanann to get home, which is weird because she remembers the TV playing in the background, but she doesn't remember what they talked about. Okay, side piece. Okay. And she's still steady swearing that she thought that Chris and Shanann were separated at this time. But also, why would Chris be up waiting on his wife if they were separated? Okay, girl. Keep playing. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Because it was only a few hours after this call at 1.48 in the morning on August 13th that Shanann got home from her Thrive trip from Arizona. Shanann and her friend Nicole Atkinson had both been on this trip together, and Nicole had been the one to drive, so she had to drop Shanann off at home that morning after they got back from the Thrive trip. They were supposed to be home around midnight, but their plane got delayed. Shanann tried to pay to get on a different flight, but it was going to cost a few more hundred dollars, so she decided to wait it out and just get home late on the delayed flight. 
you can see Shanann on the ring doorbell camera in front of the house, and you can see her being dropped off by her friend Nicole Atkinson at 1.48 a.m. She carries her bags and luggage inside, and you can see her little baby bump as she walks in to slide her shoes off beside the front door. Now, Nicole knew that Shanann had an OBGYN appointment the next morning. The appointment was just basically to check the growth and make sure everything was going okay with baby Nico. But come the next morning, no one had heard from Shanann at all. Shanann hadn't even been on Facebook this morning. She hadn't even so much as commented or liked someone else's post, which is the biggest kind of red flag for Shanann. No one had heard from Shanann, not her mom, not any of her friends, not any of her direct salespeople. This was both before and after her appointment time. So there had already been a few people trying to get in touch with Shanann that morning to see what the doctor said. Her mom, her friend Nicole, and a few other friends had been trying to call and text Shanann all morning. But Shanann's phone had been going straight to voicemail and she wasn't responding to any text, which is another red flag. Anybody else seeing patterns of huge red flags yet or just me? And it was around 12 that afternoon, after Nicole hadn't heard from Shanann or gotten any responses from her, Nicole and her son eventually decided just to ride over to Shanann's house to check on her, just to make sure that she was feeling okay and kind of really just to put Nicole's mind at ease. The front door to Shanann and Chris's house was locked, and the lock was like a punch code deadbolt lock, and Shanann's closest friends in the area knew the code so they knew how to get inside the house. Nicole did punch the code in to the door lock, and when she went to push it open, it was latched from the inside, you know, one of those, like, child chain locks from the inside of the house where you just put it high enough that the kids can't reach it. So, Nicole and her son look around in the windows, and Nicole's son notices that Shanann's car is still in the driveway. And if the front door was locked from the inside, the only other way out would be through the garage door, which was also closed and locked. The shoes that Nicole knew that Shanann wore every day because pregnancy feet, that you could still see those inside the door, and you could see those because there was a little window, you know, beside the front of the door where you could kind of see in. And that was kind of all that Nicole could see inside was kind of where everybody kicked their shoes off when they went in. Nicole's son was even standing on top of Nicole's car trying to get a look inside the garage to see what else he could see. And that's when Nicole's son told his mom that he could still see that Shanann's car was parked in the driveway. And I'm only speculating here, but Shanann had lupus, and I'm sure that was one of Nicole's biggest fears, that maybe Shanann was inside and not okay, and that the kids were kind of in there by themselves. But there were also a lot of health problems with Bella and Cece, and Shanann would have never left the girls, you know, purposely, so something had to be wrong. So this is about the point where Nicole gets extremely worried, and she decides that it's time to call 911 to report that she thought that something was very much wrong with her friend Shanann. So, Nicole finally does get in touch with somebody from the 911 dispatch center, and they send police out to do a welfare check on Shanann. After Nicole lets them know that all of this is way out of the realm of what would be considered normal for Shanann. Police call Chris at work to ask if he had heard from or seen Shanann. Chris is like, oh, I've texted her a few times, but she must be busy. Normally, her direct salespeople come before messaging me back or calling me back. Which doesn't make a lot of sense, especially since Shanann was the type that was always on her phone. So officers finally asked Chris if he could just meet him at his house to unlock the door so they could go in and check on Shanann. And I just want to throw in here that it took Chris an abnormally long time to get from his work to his house. So when he does get there, police ask if there's any reason that Shanann would just up and take the kids without saying anything to him. And he tells them that they did have a quote-unquote emotional conversation earlier that morning. We later find out that this emotional conversation between Chris and Shanann happened at like 4 or 5 in the morning because that's a normal time for people to talk out their marital problems. Chris then tells police that the two were talking about separating but that it had been pretty cordial so far. This is the first time that Nicole is hearing about this. Mind you, Shanann was just asking friends to babysit so that her and Chris could go to Aspen to work on their marriage. Bloody FM presents... Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. 
So he also tells police that she had told him that morning that she was just going to take the girls to a friend's house. When police ask which friend, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's weird too. You don't know where, you're just not worried about where your kids are going to be? That's cool. So basically at this point, Chris is saying that he not only doesn't know where Shanann is, but that he didn't ask where she was going to take their kids. So, all right, dad of the year. Chris pretends to be worried and he calls a few of Shanann's friends to ask if they'd seen or heard from her, but of course Chris had killed her, so they didn't exactly have any luck finding her at one of her imaginary friends' house. And while Chris is on the phone calling friends, police have to basically tell Chris that he needs to call the bank to see if there's any recent activity, to see if there's any big chunks of money missing from their accounts, because big chunks of money being gone would be a good indicator that Shanann had decided to leave Chris for good which is what I wish she would have actually done. Chris asked police if he should just wait at his house to see if Shanann and the girl show up, and the officer tells him that he has a detective on the way. And this entire time, it's super weird, because Chris just kind of disappears for, like, way too long at a time. You can watch all of the body cam footage from this case on almost anywhere. There's even an entire Netflix documentary almost solely based on body cam footage and Shanann's Facebook videos alone. So, I mean, you can see Chris walk off and be gone for three or four minutes and come back, and then he's pacing the floor like he's almost walking holes in his own floors in his hands. It's, it's like he has no idea, like he forgot what his hands are for. He just, he's like so fidgety. So they tell him that they have a detective on the way, and this entire time these conversations are happening, Chris and Shanann's friend Nicole are all walking around the house looking for any sign that Shanann and the kids are in there and that they're all okay. And as the officers and Nicole walk out of the master bedroom, police and Nicole notice that there is no bedding whatsoever on the bed in the master bedroom. Which is weird for a few reasons. One, because there are two types of people in the world— those of us who just wing it through life like myself and those like Shanann who have a routine for literally everything. Secondly, if she had just left Chris, I highly doubt that she would be taking their bed sheets with her. It just doesn't seem plausible, reasonable, or likely. And this is when Chris decides to let the officers know that if Shanann would have went to a friend's house, then she would have had to have been picked up because her car was still in the driveway in the garage. So while Chris, Nicole, and the officers walk through the rest of the house, they find Shanann's phone. And both Chris and Nicole let the officers know that Shanann would never leave without her phone. Her phone is literally her job and her life. The officers ask if Chris can unlock Shanann's phone, you know, just to see if there's anything in it that may help them figure out where Shanann may have gone. And Chris says that he doesn't have the password to be able to unlock Shanann's phone to be able to get into it for them. But don't you worry your pretty little head because he has a good excuse for why he doesn't know her phone passcode too. And as it turns out, it's really not that good of an excuse. That the code used to be a four-digit number and that it was just recently changed to a six-digit number, but that he doesn't know what the six-digit code is. And you can actually see the anger flood Nicole's body and face as she tells Chris that the six-digit code would be their baby's due date. Like, come on. And the way her face looks, it's almost like she wanted to say, it would be your unborn son's due date, you jackass, but she doesn't. So Shanann's phone had been cut off. So when Chris turns it back on, Shanann's phone naturally starts blowing up with notifications of missed calls, text, voicemails, etc. And at this point, Nicole isn't even trying to hide her facial expressions. She's making it very clear while she kind of head nods to the police with an expression like, Hey, he's being super suspicious, and we're both seeing what I'm seeing, right? In the house, they also found Shanann's wallet, purse, and medications for both herself and the girls. And that's when Chris and Nicole let the officers know that she would have never left without their meds if she were planning to leave for any amount of time. So there's no sheets on the master bed, which could easily be explained away, like maybe they were being washed or you know, something like that, but still, most people have more than one set of sheets for their beds, and the fact that they'd recovered Shanann's phone is also super weird. Chris also walks out of the master bedroom holding Shanann's wedding ring, kind of indicating that maybe she had finally decided to leave him for good after their quote-unquote emotional conversation. 
But now's probably a good time to bring up the fact that this was supposed to be the first day of school slash daycare for Bella and Cece, and Shanann wasn't the kind of mom that would skip the first day of school. Actually, she's more like the kind of mom that you see on your Facebook where the kids are holding up these huge blackboards with their names, their teachers' names, their age, their grade, favorite book, etc., etc. So all of these things are weird at best, and from here the cops go talk to a few of the neighbors to see if anybody had seen or heard anything that morning. Most of the neighbors remember Chris taking the girls to the community pool, and they all remembered that he was really polite and quiet and shy. Nothing out of the ordinary. So as police are talking to these neighbors, asking if they had seen or heard anything, they're also checking around with the neighbors to see who had security cameras in the area to see if maybe somebody caught Shanann leaving the house. Maybe she had gotten an Uber and left. Maybe a different friend had picked her up. And we all know that's not the case, but this is the process of elimination for detectives. That's their job, and they're doing it. One lady that lived in the neighborhood close by the Watts house said that Chris was friendly and that he had even given her some pointers on how to keep her grass from dying earlier that year. Police ask if there's anything that she saw or heard, you know, that was out of the normal for the family, and she tells them no. But then she says that she did see Chris's truck with the headlights on around 5.15 that morning. When he asks if that was weird for him, she tells him that normally when she goes to the gym that early, she's the only one out. And this would eventually be confirmed by a different neighbor that lived directly beside Chris and Shanann. This neighbor had security cameras that pointed directly at Chris and Shanann's driveway and front door, but not in a creepy way, in a way where he could kind of see who was coming and going from the road, like people who may be about to turn into his drive. And this neighbor's security cameras were only set to record when motion was detected. And every time motion was detected, this neighbor got a notification, which is the same way my home security system is set up. So naturally, this neighbor might have something that police could use to see where Shanann had gone and taken the kids to. Police ask if they can come in and take a look to see if they see any footage that may help them in the search for Shanann and the girls. And of course, he brings them inside and pulls up his camera footage and all of the motion that had been detected that day. After this neighbor invites Chris and the officers into his home, he pulls up all the security footage and he tells police, quote, that's him at 7.15, him being Chris, in the video. In the video footage, you can see Chris and you can see him backing his truck into the garage. And once you see Chris back his truck up into the driveway and to the edge of the garage, you can see him walk back and forth from the garage to the truck, back to the garage, then to the truck, then to the garage, and back to the truck yet again. And while the neighbor, Chris, and the police are all watching this footage, the police body cam shows Chris literally just sway back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. Like, Chris is pacing the neighbor's floor so hard it looks like he's gonna walk a hole through it. And this is when Chris explains, without being prompted or even asked about it, how he's loading his water jug there, and his work bag here, and his laptop there, and his tool bag. Like, Chris just keeps babbling on and on about his cooler water jug tools, book bag, laptop. Literally, nobody cares, and also nobody asks. The neighbor that showed the cops the surveillance footage of Chris backing his truck up into the garage of him and Shanann's house said that this wouldn't be weird if Chris hadn't made it a point to never park his truck in the driveway for the reason that Chris's work truck leaked oil and Shanann and Chris had explicitly told him that they didn't park the truck in the driveway because they didn't want oil spots staining up the driveway. So, why would Chris pick the same day that his pregnant wife and two kids vanished into thin air to finally back his truck up into the driveway and garage when he's never done that before? Well, I guess we'll find out later, but first, let's go through what else you could see on the security footage that caught Chris backing his truck up that morning. After the neighbor kind of points out that the truck has been backed in the driveway, which is weird because it's never happened before, the neighbor switches his TV back to what he was watching before the cops knocked on his door. And this is when officers tell Chris that the detective just showed up and that he'll want to talk to him. Chris stands in the neighbor's living room with both hands interlocked on top of his head, pretty much in the same way that cops tell people to put their hands on their head right before they arrest him. Chris is still rocking back and forth and literally cannot stand still. This is a way for his body to release the anxiety that's building up without him even realize it. And I almost wonder if Chris thought they were about to arrest him right then? Mm, I guess we'll never know. The officer tells Chris to go ahead and walk outside and introduce himself to the detective while he gets the neighbor's name and information. 
There's also a commercial that was playing when the TV got switched from the security cameras back to the regular TV programming, and it was chilling at best. The commercial shows a baby that's still in the womb, and that image fades to a gas mask. From the gas mask, it switches to an explosion, which then fades into a skull submerged in oil. The irony of the fact that this commercial was a baby and a skull, Shanann was pregnant, and the fact that there's an explosion in this commercial with these huge oil tanks in the backgrounds as it spills oil out of it, mm, okay, that is eerie. If you haven't watched this on body cam footage, please pause the podcast here, Google it, and watch it right quick. It's super eerie, and you can find it literally anywhere. But how ironic is it that the whole premeditated murder plan literally blew up in Chris's face, kind of like the explosion that happened in the commercial? Was this God or Shanann, or am I crazy? But it's also not until Chris sees this commercial starting and the womb of the baby that he remembers to mention that Shanann is 15 weeks pregnant. So he had definitely failed to mention that it was the baby that he had asked for, but whatever. Chris walks out to meet the detectives, and as soon as Chris is out of earshot, the neighbor wastes no time telling officers that Chris is not acting right. And he also mentions that sometimes he can hear Chris yelling at Shanann, which is funny because officers have never been called out to the house and that's not something that any other neighbors or friends said. Actually, it was the opposite and Shanann was the one that yelled and Chris was the mild meek one. And it was later this same day that Shanann and the girls were reported as missing persons that Kessinger would delete any trace of Chris from her phone. Kessinger later testifies against Chris at his trial and says that she didn't know what he was planning to do to his family that morning but why else would she delete every trace of him from her phone on the 13th? You know, the same day that they were murdered, reported missing, and starting to be looked for. That's not suspicious at all, Kissinger. Because from here, the only thing that had actually happened on the 13th so far, that anybody knew of, is that according to Chris, Shanann may have finally decided to leave him and take the girls to a friend's house. What reason would Kissinger have to delete every trace of Chris from her phone? That's all that we thought happened so far. She left and went to a friend's house with the kids. That's it. Chris cooperates with detectives and quote-unquote tries to help in the search for his missing family in any way that he can, except for he only asked to go out and look for them once, and they told him to stay put, so he just never asked again. But he helps by providing details with the information that they need, like the girls' heights and weights, etc., which he should know how much they weigh. He had just carried them to the top of an oil tank hours before this, but let me stop. This is when Chris does his first media coverage to try to get Shanann and the kids' names and faces out there for the public to be on the lookout for. And mind you, in hindsight, Chris did this press release slash conference type deal knowing full well that he killed them all and that they were not coming back. Chris's face was plastered across every TV in America, and this case quickly gained national and even worldwide attention. This is what I've always referred to as the missing white girl syndrome, but that's a topic for another day. So, want to hear Chris's interview? Let's get it. Four in the Bellas, four, Celeste's three. And so, how many times did you try calling her? I called her three times, texted her about three times just to say, you know, what's going on? Like, I did, I could, after that, for the, after I called her and texted her once, it was like, like, maybe she was just busy. Like, she just got back, you know, like, everybody's probably calling her from her trip. She just got back from Arizona. And I figured, you know, she was just busy. But when her friend showed up, that's what it was like. It, it registered, like, all right, this isn't right. She just took off, do you think? I mean, right now, I don't even want to just, like, throw anything out there. Like, I hope that she's somewhere safe right now and with the kids. But, I mean, could she have been, could she have just taken off? I don't know. But if somebody has her and they're not safe, like, I want them back now. Like, that, that, that's what's in my head. Like, if they're safe right now, they're going to come back. But if they're not safe right now, that's what, that's the not knowing part, like, if they're not safe, I, I, last night I was I had every light in the house on. I was hoping that I would just get just ran over by the kids running in the door and just like barrel rushing me, but it didn't happen. And it was just a traumatic night trying to be here. 
meter skyrocketing or just mine okay chris refers to almost every missing person in his family in the past tense the entire time that he talks about them this interview that i just played was from day two of the search day one was basic in and out of the house gathering evidence what have you but did you hear all of the dogs barking in the background 
because that would be canine dogs. And officers brought in these canine dogs to search the area, but they didn't find anything out of the usual, and it almost seemed like Chris was actively trying to throw off the investigation. Like, the officers were asking Chris to give him items that only Shanann had touched, and another item that only Bella had touched, and another item that only Cece had touched. And it just seemed like every single item Chris had somehow managed to touch to throw off the scent dogs. And finally... Shanann's mom, Sandra, gave the officers and detectives the idea to try to find things from Shanann and the girls' suitcases from their trip from North Carolina because Shanann had had to leave right after they returned from North Carolina to go to Arizona on the Thrive trip. So those bags probably hadn't been touched or even moved yet. And Chris tries to play it off like he's this great employee and he's going to go to work on day two of his whole ass family being missing. He says that he'll come home if his head's not in it, and basically his boss is like, nah, that ain't how that works. Stay home, your entire family's missing. I think we'll be okay for the day without you. There was an endangered missing alert issued, and Chris pleads to the public on Denver ABC, and that's the interview that I just played where he says, Shanann, Bella, Celeste, if you're out there, just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just please bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete without anybody here. Please bring them back. And if you listen to how many times he stuttered during that interview that I just played, it is ridiculous. So let me just throw this in here now that this is just the day before Chris killed his pregnant wife and two kids that Kessinger had a Google search that showed how to prepare for anal sex and the anal sex guide. So we know where Chris's priorities were at this time, And I'd like to believe that he's probably doing just fine in prison. Okay, I'm petty, so what? Chris is being super suspicious, but also oddly helpful. So Shanann's friend Nicole is already on high alert with the way Chris has been acting, and police start taking note of this too. Chris mentions that he got a notification on his phone earlier that day that Shanann and the girls were reported missing that the garage door had been left open at 1242. Okay, but they'd already looked at all the neighbor's surveillance footage and they knew that no one had come or gone from the garage since Chris left for work that morning. Chris tells this officer three different times about the notification about the garage door being left open. This officer thought this was hella weird that Chris kept bringing it up for no reason and he did this three different times. Officers now need to do an actual search of the house and this is kind of where the dogs come in. And during this search... The always helpful Chris agrees that they can search whatever they need without a warrant or a lawyer present. Because he's either really cocky or he isn't worried about what they're going to find. This entire house was spotless and there wasn't a single thing out of place. Nothing seemed suspicious. While police are looking around, they start asking Chris if he thought it was possible that maybe Shanann had been having an affair. Chris says that he doesn't know for sure, but that is possible. I'm sorry, huh? You're just now thinking this might be a good time to mention that your pregnant wife and two daughters are missing and you possibly think she could have been having an affair? It doesn't even make sense. This is when officers ask Chris if he has been having an affair. And I just want to throw out here that police probably already have Chris's phone records by this point and they likely already know about Kissinger. But Chris answers and says, quote, Nah, I have not done that. What? It's like he just forgets how to talk when he gets paranoid. When they start asking relevant questions, he goes into like bumbling, babbling, uh, 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 that he can't form a sentence. And police don't normally ask questions that they don't already have the answers to. So this is probably yet another red flag. Chris tells the officers that he's going to try to go to work the next morning, but he'll come home if his head isn't in it. Yeah, he actually said that to them. And at about 4 a.m. on August 14th, about 22 hours after Shanann was last seen on the ring doorbell footage, Shanann's mom, Sandra, called detectives working on Shanann's case, and she tells them that she thinks Chris is involved in whatever happened, and that she thinks that Shanann and the girls have been covered in oil. I'm sorry. Is this mother's intuition, or, or do people still believe that's not a thing? 
And Sandra also says that it was during this front porch interview that Chris did where he acts like he honestly doesn't know where his wife and daughters might be. Sandra says that this interview is when she knew that he was involved and she knew that something was very much wrong. And it was later when Sandra went on the Dr. Phil show that she said that she knew the very moment that Shanann died and when her soul left her body that Sandra had woken up from a dead sleep and woke everyone in her house up, telling them that something was terribly wrong with Shanann. Mind you, this was hours before Shanann, Bella, and Cece were even reported missing. And initially, Shanann's parents, Sandra and Frank, and even Shanann's brother Frankie, all said that they didn't think that Chris had anything to do with the disappearance up until they watched the front porch interview. And it seems like this is when the court of public opinion also made their judgment. It was like once Chris did that interview, everybody could kind of see it written all over his face. And by 7 a.m. on August 14th, the day after Shanann and the girls had first been reported missing, police and investigators found that Shanann and the kids still hadn't returned home. They decided to do a press release about the status of their missing persons case and seek the public's help. This is a very normal thing, and it happens a lot. This is also when the Colorado Bureau of Investigation was brought in to help with the search. This is when the investigators brought in dogs to track human remains, but they also brought in other dogs that are basically trained in tracking the scent of a struggle or someone in distress, which is the wildest thing I've ever heard. I did not even know that was a thing. These dogs that were trained to track the struggle or someone in distress hid on Chris's work truck, the master bedroom, the bottom of the stairs, and the basement. Officers, scent dogs, investigators, and Chris stayed at the Watts house almost all day long while this search went on. And it was finally that night when police took Chris's phone to copy it onto a USB drive. Chris didn't stay at his house that night, though. He stayed with his friends, who are probably mortified now at the thought of letting the family annihilator stay and sleep in their house with what they know about Chris now, but they didn't know this then. Chris stayed with friends Amanda and Nick Thayer. The investigators did yet another search of Chris and Shanann's house that night, and this is when they would find a bedding sheet in the trash can in the kitchen of the Watts family home. Why is there a sheet in the trash can in the kitchen? Well, I guess I'll tell you next week. Same time, same place, next Wednesday. See you then. All right, y'all, it's that time where I start saying, make sure to follow me. So, do that. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, just about anywhere at murdered underscore mama. And if you've been rocking with me and you've been listening, I'm also going to need you to rate and review the show on Apple because it took me freaking forever to get on there. And I'm also going to need you to rate me on Spotify because apparently it helps somehow. And that's really all I'm asking for. So help your girl out. But also, don't leave one-star reviews because my anxiety's already really bad and I don't need to cry for no reason. If you don't like it, don't listen. And that's all I'm asking for. But also, before I forget, all of my social media handles are in the show notes or the description of the show, whatever, however you want to call it. I also have a Linktree account and you can find it by searching Linktree slash Mama Murdered a Podcast and that'll take you to any social media page and any listening platform that you choose. All right, y'all, bye. That's how my mama murdered a podcast.